can't escape your shadow again The unpleasant presence you install And every memory we have Forgotten promises like thoughts Alright, so we're recording now, and we're just going to get into it. And it's been a while, so we're probably rusty. But Jim had kind of uh, piqued my curiosity with this list he posted on uh, songs that ruined bands. And I think that's that's a... I don't know, that's an evergreen topic, I think. But, you know, I don't know. Why, why don't you introduce it, since you were the one who, who came up with the idea? People that don't follow me on Facebook may not realize that I do top ten lists of everything. I'll just brainstorm a list, and then, you know, I'll, I'll spend maybe five minutes, ten minutes writing it, and then I just leave it and I go on. Yeah. And usually they don't get any traction at all. And today, because I mentioned Anthrax, I got I got a lot of hostility from people because i think madhouse is just such a bad song that it ruined that bad it it basically said uh when people allowed that song to happen it basically said oh we can be a pop band now we don't have to be a metal band anymore okay okay and, and people took exception because it was anthrax and that caused yeah, some yeah, conversation. yeah yeah exactly so for me i i loved among the living and we talked mm -hmm. about anthrax a, a couple episodes ago um did we ever actually upload everything that we recorded recently? I have to double check. I think we did, but there might be one lingering episode. Yeah. I got some Babylon 5 episodes that I still got to put up to. Um, uh, so, you know, we've talked about Anthrax in the past. We've talked about what an inconsistent band they are. We don't know what their sound is supposed to be. They've never really played in tune with Joey's voice. Um, and Joey is a great singer. If you listen to him when he's working on a song that he that his voice fits, he's a great singer. He has a lot of range. He's dynamic. But Anthrax continues to put out bad music. And so Madhouse was one of the songs that struck me as, wow, this used to be a heavy metal band. What happened? Um, and, of course, Mr. Roboto by Styx. That's really the song that started the whole list. Yeah, because yeah. I woke up singing that song for some reason. I don't know why. Because it's catchy, like I told you yeah. in the, yeah. the chat. Well, and you know I hate catchy music, so um, it sticks out as uh, – it sticks out. That was not intentional. But it stands out as a, a song from Styx that just does not match the rest of the tone of the band. They had so many progressive rock tunes. But here's what's funny. when I like Because Mr. Roboto, everybody knows that. But at this point, like, you know how things just become a cultural reference after a while? And nobody actually goes and watches the movie or listens to the song. But they know that one moment from it that gets repeated a thousand times. Right. Uh, everybody knows the Domo Arigato Mr. Roboto part. And that's all that's ever used. So that's pretty much what that song is stripped down to. When you hear the whole song, the one thing that I was thinking today, listening to it, is it does sound like a progressive band made the song. Do you know what I mean? It's got a, it's a progressive sounding structure and the melody. It, I can sort of see where they're going. And then it just I don't know if it's it's really hard to judge because I hear Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto so much over my life in car commercials, in all kinds of things, and I can't separate it from those things i don't even know at this point if it's because the song is bad or if it's because of all the things that we've 
sort of just put onto the song culturally. But once it gets to that point, that's kind of when it goes off the rails for me. And it gets into really ridiculous territory. But leading up to that, it has kind of like moments that are interesting. I'm not going to defend it and die on that hill. Um, but I was just surprised by how different it sounded in context. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's, it, it, it's not as, it's not as silly as when it's like an Austin Powers joke or when it's being used to sell a car or something. I don't want to talk about Star Trek, so I'm just going to use this as an example. I'm happy I'm like, to talk about Star Trek. So by all means, I'm, go, go I, on. I know how we get derailed. I don't <laughs> want to talk about Star Trek, but I want to use this as an example of why things like this happen. There's a cliche that people love to use. It's so bad, it's good, uh-huh. which I, I hate that cliche to death because it basically says the people that made this didn't have to try and I'm going to accept it as quality, even though it clearly is not. And Star Trek, the old series reeks of that. And the more series they make of Star Trek, the worse they get store, uh, writing wise to the point where all they have to do is put Star Trek on the name of something and people watch it. And because of that, Star Trek fans lower their own threshold for quality because every single time they tune into a new show, Mm -hmm. it's garbage, and then people complain about it, but they still tune in. So just so all the Star Trek fans are clear, that's Jim's opinion, not mine. Go on, go on, go on. (laughs) I've watched all of 10 minutes of Star Trek in my entire life. I could not stand it. And I listen to people talk they, about it all the time, and it sounds stupid. They, I mean, I don't want. I'm not going to try to convert you. I will say they have some really good episodes in the old series. There were some really well written episodes, in my opinion. Um, but I don't want to make this a Star Trek thing, so I won't. Sure, wanna, sure. Know, and I don't. Yeah, so, no, but using but, that as an example of what happens is bands do this sometimes when they're phoning it in, right? Yeah. We talked about some Iron Maiden albums that could have been better. Yeah. We talked about a lot of bands who. They're under a deadline. They've got to get something out. We could talk about the Clash's last album if you wanted to. We could, I mean, there's a bunch of people who put out awful stuff because they feel obligated to or they're under contract or they need to make some money. And you can tell the difference between I have a passion for this artistry and somebody needing a paycheck. And when you get to that point that you need a paycheck and you make something really, really bad, that's so bad it's good, you get Mr. Roboto. (laughs) Mr. Roboto yeah. was obviously something where nobody got it. Nobody wanted to really work on that album. They didn't know what it was about. And even the, what's his name? I don't remember anybody's name from Sticks. The, the, the keyboardist was the leader of the band. He clearly had a message about how technology is bad, mm-hmm. but he didn't know how to write it. And he was, he ended well, up sounding like an 80s band that didn't know what the 80s was about. Well, and I think that would make sense given that they were a 70s band. <laughs> they yeah, wouldn't really know what the 80s are about. I, I, I can kind of see how that would happen. I think two things tend to happen here. Like the band, I, I think the band can be totally ruined by moments like that. But I also think people that are creative over many decades, they're going to have these different periods in their creative career where they either they lose passion briefly and then they need it. They kind of need a, need a reignition in order to get it back. And that might mean two really dull albums uh, or two really bad movies or whatever. But there's also this thing of you have to reinvent yourself as a creative person because you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, ACDC, 
can do it, but like not many other people can get away with being the same thing consistently over many decades, especially with music. Like just as somebody who like, I, I do know how to write songs and I used to write a lot of music and it's really hard to write music in a new style that you're not used to. Like if you're, if you're, if you're like a progressive rock band like Sticks, and I know this wasn't the case with Mr. Roboto, but if you are, and then you decide, well, now we're going to be a pop band like Anthrax decided to be. That's, that's a really hard, you can't just suddenly write pop songs if you've been writing heavy metal or writing progressive music. And I think that's like what happened with Iron Maiden, for example, when they did No Prayer for the Dying. Uh, we could have debates all day long about the quality of that, but the consensus is it's bad. And No Prayer for the Dying, I think the reason that consensus exists is because they tried to make a new sound. They had, they had already done that a couple of times, do you know what I mean? But now they're going to make a new sound, and it was a serious misstep for a variety of reasons. Um, and it takes them a while before they can find a sound again that works for that band. And I think that's kind of what happened. Songwriting is really hard. And I think songwriting to a style is really difficult. Like finding an aesthetic and writing to it well, and not just in a way that is paint by the numbers, but really writing to it is I think one of the hardest things that I think that's, I think that's often how bands get to this moment of, um, you know, ruining themselves with a single album or a single song. Fate's Warning's new album just came out and it's really bad. And they're my favorite band in the world. And for that to happen is really disconcerting because I've been watching the slow slide into mediocrity for a while, but you can still always, when you like a band, you can still always find yeah. gems. You can say, well, this whole song isn't great, but that bridge is really good. Or yeah. I really like this transition or what, or whatever. I'm listening to this 10 minute long song because this four minutes is good. Yeah. And that's where my, emotions are invested when the moment happens that somebody's just phoning it in or somebody's lost their way. I won't even say phoning it in anymore. I'll say lost its way. Sticks clearly lost their way and fate's warning album shows that they've lost their way. I've met the band, mm -hmm. right? I liked hanging out with them. They're all good people. If I ran into Ray, the lead singer, I wouldn't know what to say to him about this album. I would not want to talk about it because I would be just so embarrassed. Well, be well, here's what I would them... say. Go ahead. Yeah, I would say they nobody, very few people. There probably are a few, but most people probably don't make a bad album on purpose, right? So it's not probably like a, you know, he's doing it to spite you, unless. Well, I, I, yeah, it, and I, I don't think that at all. And I think hardcore fans are willing to say it's Fate's Warning. We love them. Ray's voice sounds great on this. We still love it. Okay. But the fact remains that there's no, there's nothing. There's nothing Can, there. It's so empty. Now, I'm not a Fate's Warning fan. You showed me the album, and I did have trouble kind of connecting to the material. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And but but I don't I don't really I you know as a non fan of the band I can't really know how indicative that is of the overall quality of the of that particular album. So is your would you say your opinion is generally becoming the consensus of this album, or or are most people saying they like it, and you're saying no, you people are crazy? Like what is the what is the overall shape of the reaction so far? If you go to the YouTube videos, there are people who are fervent believers that this is a fantastic album mm -hmm. and they love Ray's voice on it. Okay. I I generally think, one, the last three albums have been milk toast because Ray's been writing the lyrics instead of Jim. Okay. And J Jim always wrote better melodies and whatnot. 
And you can just sense that Jim's progressive chops have gone towards his other projects, mm-hmm. OSI and Archimatheos. And this one, he's just, okay, well, I'll just create a riff. I'll write a melody and you guys do whatever you want around that. And you could see him losing the verve that he once had for Fate's Warning. He still has it on his other projects. So he's not. Okay. Okay. He's, he's not, uh, He's not uncreative. He's not losing his uh, rocket sauce, as Tenacious D would say. Um, but there's just this there's this movement towards what's the easiest way to get to the melody? What's the easiest way to get to this chorus? What's the easiest way? What's the least amount of words that I can say and still drag out a melody? Okay. If you listen to that album, I mean, you listen to it, right? There's so little behind those songs. Now, do you and think I, they're I, trying to simplify the sound? Is that what's going on? Or do you think they're just not investing the energy into making the the songs? Like, what, what do you think is the, the cause? That's a really good question. I, I can't really speak to what people's intent are. No, but if you had, if you had to guess, if, if just like your if sense. If I had to guess, I think that they're all old mm-hmm. and they have other things they want to do now. Okay. Um, Ray, okay. Ray lives in Spain. So he has to either fly here to record in the studio or he has to do all the recording there. Yeah. And if he's doing the recording there in his own space, there's nobody to edit him or challenge him yeah. and say, that's not good enough. And so when it gets here, right, when he sends the recordings over, he he does all of his lyrical chops over the or the backtracks. What is Jim really going to do? Jim's a really nice guy. Is he really going to challenge him and say, Ray, this isn't your best work. Go back and do it again. Mm. I mean, that's, I think it's always a bad sign when the band moves to different places. Do you know what I mean? And then like, right. Like most bands, their, their best material usually seems to be when they were either living together or they were so close to each other. Do you know what I mean? And then, but then they all reach points of maturity where they have to have other lives. And some bands seem to find, the way to reignite everything when they, you know, like they, they have a method for putting an album together when they reconnect and some bands don't. One question I would have is, is, is there any band that you can think of, or there are there a number of bands that have been able to sustain that level of intense quality over the course of an entire career? Is there, is there like anybody that you would say, yes, this band, they never, if they had a misstep, it was an exception. And other otherwise, they've stayed quality the whole way through. Or uh, do you think that that what's going on with with Fate's Warning is just something that happens to every band eventually? Yeah, I well, I think it certainly happens to a lot of bands. I can't say every bands, but it's it's most disheartening because it's something you love, right? Mm-hmm. I made fun of Star Trek a second ago. It doesn't bother me that Star Trek is bad because I was never invested, but I'm invested in this, so it's sad to see happen. I think Queen consistently put out great music i don't think you would struggle i think you would struggle to find a queen album that wasn't great i I mean Um, i would agree with that i'm a big queen fan so i would agree but i would also say uh i would say number one um with queen for whatever reason they were like the only prog style band that i really developed a deep interest in um right uh but number two some people do complain about their later material so i do think there is there's a, there's definitely a crowd that's not satisfied with the, some of the later albums um, in like the '80s period, uh, but but I still feel like with Queen, there's at least a solid roster of songs on pretty much every album. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like like every if you listen to like a Queen's greatest hits, 
like pretty much those come from like every album that they have. Do you know what I mean? Like there's not, right. there isn't an album that, that I can think of off the top of my head that doesn't have something that people remember about Queen. So um, the Steve Perry run and journey, I'm not even a journey fan, mm-hmm. but I have to recognize that that was, that was a, a, a monolith of great music. They just pushed their way through album after album after album. Not for me, because I don't listen to it, yeah. but people that love it, love it. And that's a perfect example of a band that lost its way simply because they couldn't get along internally anymore, and they all wanted something different. Uh, yeah. Well, I think... So I, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, that's it. Um, so one song that's on here that I want to talk about, just because I think it's just a... It's an unusual song, and we've we've talked around it, but we never actually discussed it. Is Turbo Lover? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm really curious about your thoughts about it. Number one, but it's all it, it, to me. It's like it's like the train wreck of metal songs. When yeah. I when it's on, I have to listen to it. It's captivating, but not for the reasons that you want a song to be captivating. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? Um, I mean, and in some ways, I admire the song because it's not like it's it's not badly written. It's just, it doesn't feel like Judas Priest, number one. It feels like a, it, they really are going in a much different direction with, with that sound on that album and that song in particular. But also the lyrics, if you take those lyrics literally and just visualize what he's saying, it's the most bizarre sequence of images for a song like that. It just, it, I kind of feel like I maybe I know what he's going for, but I feel like it really lands wrong somehow um and since you're more of a judas priest fan i i i really i have always kind of wanted to know your thoughts on this song uh okay where do i start um so i got into priest in 81 and i fell in love immediately the first album i bought of theirs was british steel and then i got screaming for vengeance and it took a long time for me to actually go back and listen to their discography before that the old stuff uh, although I had Unleashed in the East, and that gave you the the best songs of Old Priest, but I didn't really get into Old Priest until college. Um, and and so when they put out an album like Point of Entry, you look at it and you say, okay, well, they were experimenting. Mm-hmm. And then you listen to British Steel, and there's not a bad song on the album. You listen to Screaming for Vengeance, maybe got one or two songs you could do without. Uh, then they do um, Defenders of the Faith, no bad songs on that album. Um, maybe the, the one that with all these sexual innuendos might be something you'd, you'd ignore. And then this ha- album happens and it, it's inexplicable why this happened. When you find out later why it happens, of course, it makes sense. But the moment that it happens and you're a teenager and you're, you're angry all the time because you're a teenager and that's what teenagers yeah. are. And something like this happens, you just, you're deflated. You're absolutely deflated. And to find out later, they were all doing so much coke and they were so uh, they were they were getting pulled into that that lifestyle of excess. Right. They were being given cars. They were being given whatever it was that they wanted to make another album. The song itself, Turbo Lover, is about doing whatever you want and and having no restraint. And then because he's in the closet still about his sexuality you find out that all of the imagery is about him in a car with another man. Mm-hmm. It really does paint a picture of Jesus Christ. How much pain was he in that? This is the song he chose to, to, 
to sort of put it in people's face the most that he'd ever put it in their face. And if you look at the list of songs that are on the album, there's two good songs on that. Not even good. I wouldn't even call them good. They are mediocre songs that barely pass for a Judas Priest song, and the rest say? are. What's would that? You, what would you say those are? Just out of curiosity. Locked in and out in the cold. They're the only okay. ones that even sound like Judas Priest songs. I mean, there's a song called Parental Guidance. How? Yeah. <laughs> what happened now to this band? It was it was such a dark moment, but but when you give that context, it, it Turbo Lover makes sense now in that context, whereas before it just sound sounds almost deranged. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, it, it also, the other question I have about Turbo Lover as a song is, do you think it's because they're kind of obviously going in a more electronic poppy direction with right. Turbo Lover. Is it a good pop song? Like, like put aside priest fandom. Is it a good pop song or are they not even able to make good pop music in this moment? I don't have a good answer here. I mean, it's a tough question. Do you know what I mean? Because it's sort of like, if it is a good pop song, that would be even more reason to hate it if you're, you know, a traditional J- Judas Priest fan, right? But just to be fair, are they, were they at least doing well what they set out to do, even if it was like the opposite of what you and other fans would have wanted at the time? I think, if I'm not mistaken, I have not heard the song since I heard it in concert when they did their reunion tour back in, I want to say 2005. Um, so I've not heard the song in 15 years. Okay. okay. So I'm going off memory. What's in my brain. Does Dave Holland play electronic drums in that song? There's a lot of electronic sounding instruments in that song and a lot of sound effects. Um, and it seems very bass driven to me, that song. Um, I think the chorus is awful. I don't care what kind of music that you're into. That is a bad chorus. Okay, okay. I don't think it measures up for how you would want to hear any song sung. Uh, but I'm not a pop fan. There, there's so few pop songs that I, uh, I will even give the time of day. And I, I like pop music. This is actually yeah. probably a dividing line. So, um, I, I mean, I don't, I, I can't imagine the song being on top forty radio. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it's a really hard thing to judge i i think the one redeeming thing about the song is it does have this um it does create an atmosphere between the bass and the whatever electronic thing is going on in the background that's maybe the one thing i like about the song um but everything else is just sort of a curiosity more than anything else um but but i did i did want to kind of, and I, don't know, I, wa- I wanted to give it like a fair hearing do you know what i mean as a song yeah and uh, i and i can't i can't give it a fair hearing right i if that had been the album they ended on i think they would have been forgotten as a band to be honest they had to yeah, redeem themselves okay. with pain well I, I mean i don't know they had a huge they had two decades though of good material right so like i don't think would they have been forgotten i mean they at had... that point they'd only had about 15. This came out in '86. I, I mean, so, I mean '70s and '80s, not two actual, not sure. like 20 okay, years. Fair yeah, right. Uh, but they didn't start becoming a great band for a while, so they had maybe 10 years of good albums before this happened. And had they ended there, I think they would have been forgotten. Okay. Honestly. Okay. I mean, I just feel like they were so widely known at that. Like they were so famous to me at that point. Do you know what I mean? That like I feel like they would still. But I don't know. You might be right. Um, and I know we don't we don't like to talk about Metallica anymore because we talk about them too much. But you do have Enter Sandman on there, 
And oh yeah, yeah. I had I did have a thought on that one because I was in a band in high school. And one of the songs they played was Enter Sandman, and the reason they played it is because it was a song everybody knew. Do you know what I mean you could? It was it, this was the age of the Use Your Illusion albums and all that stuff, so right. it, it it had broad appeal. But the thing I didn't like about that song, and I actually don't have the problem with this album that a lot of people do, but the thing I didn't like about that song in particular. And this is just more of like a metalhead gripe than anything else. Is it was the song that non-metalheads would sing and know, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't, they would sing it and think that they understood metal, and they really didn't. Do you know what I mean? And they would sing right. it and think that they understood that that Metallica was a heavy band without understanding that Metallica had much heavier music prior to this. Sure. Um, and so that song, I think, is I, I definitely see why it was number one on the list. Um, and also Silent Lucidity, which you, you won't even call it by its real name. Um, no, 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 this is just so stupid. So, um, uh, so go, so why don't you talk about it then? And I'll give my so thoughts. I, I want to talk a little bit first about, uh, Nirvana and I realize okay. they're not on my list, but, um, Enter Sandman reminds me of when Nirvana first hit because those things were happening about the same time. Um, I had in college, I had a cassette that this compilation of a bunch of weird music on it and there was a song from bleach on there and there was mud honey was on there and a band called tad and uh i think early Soundgarden was on there and just a bunch of stuff somebody had made for me and this was long before any of this stuff was hitting and i wouldn't have found it on my own so i'm not i'm not trying to be a hipster and say i was listening to it before it was cool Somebody had to give it to me, and I had to find it. A band called Unwound was on there, which they turned out to be fantastic. Um, but I remember hearing something off of Bleach. I don't even remember what song it was. Was Bleach their and first album, or was it? that? Yeah, it was their first album or an EP or something, okay. but it came before Nevermind. Okay. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, I don't really like this guy's voice. I don't really like this band. And then they got – then the album came out, and they got popular, and they were on the radio all the time. And I didn't care for – 85% of that album. Mm. It's Polly want a cracker has got to be the stupidest lyric in the history of music. And to this day, Nirvana is still regarded as this amazing band, right? They play them every hour here. You'll, you'll be happy. No, here you hardly ever get Nirvana on the radio. Yeah. So. We, it's a law up here, apparently yeah. that you have to play them every hour. Um, and I just get sick of them because they were never good. And I would see people uh, getting to your point about, Sandman finally I would see people in their you know their Ford Ranger pickup trucks blasting teen spirit out the window and th they're thinking they're cool because they're yeah. listening to this hard punks and it's not punk it's easy listening if yeah. anything it's it's catchy pop music he was a pop and, writer for sure a lot of people have said that yeah, but that's true I think he was more of a croner to be honest that yeah um, that's possible I, I could see that I could see that this idea that people think they have a taste of something because they've heard a song of that nature, right? Yeah. I don't think the Flash are a good band. I don't think they're representative of punk personally, right? And but I know people love the Clash, and there are these bands that have just made it too easy to get. Who is that band that made it easy to get into ska? No doubt. No doubt. That's, I yeah. can't. I can't hate No Doubt though. For some reason, I find Gwen Stefani too charming. <laughs> um yeah but they're not ska i don't right? know what they are i just know that i can't hate them. <laughs> they're listening to ska when they're listening to 
no yeah. doubt. And so you have this over and over and over again, where a song like Enter Sandman enters the the cultural zeitgeist, and now everybody thinks they're they're hard. Yeah, and, yeah, I, I know. They're because they're listening to that thing, and what they don't realize is you're listening to the most easy listening song. Yeah from that band. Everybody always brings up uh, living after midnight or breaking the law when they talk about Judas priest, but those are the easiest songs to listen yeah. to from Judas. They're though breaking the law is a hysterical song. Right? Yeah. There's just something very hysterical about that lyric. Um, but uh, I had a, I had a much weirder reaction to uh, smells like teen spirit. Number one, I totally get why it took off the way it did. Um, sure. But when it first hit, like I, because remember when that came out, grunge was not something that was widely understood. We were still in the days of Use Your Illusion and Headbangers Ball. And actually, the first time I heard the song was on Headbangers Ball, I think. Um, and I thought it was a great song at first. Like I, when I first heard Team Spirit, I called my cousin Dave, who's also into the same kind of music and played guitar, and I was like, "You gotta look at this band. They're great. This 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 song was amazing." But what I didn't like was everything that came after that song. You know, that was, it was like the, what was unleashed by that song was just a total paradigm shift in music that right. I, I had no interest in. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I yeah. still kind of get a reaction to Smells Like Teen Spirit. That song had something that I enjoyed, but everything else that flowed from Smells Like Teen Spirit was, um, it just it just devoured all the stuff that I loved, and so I I just got really I just got progressively more hardened. I refused to listen to any of that kind of music, and I became like one of the metal holdouts in the nineties. Yeah. You know, so um, I, I want to talk about Headbangers Ball for just a second. Oh sure, what a great which topic. incarnation of Headbangers well, Ball? Well, okay, so I've been listening to Headbangers Ball I think from the beginning, uh -huh. and then Ricky Rackman shows up. And I cannot believe I remember his name, but it's an easy. Well, me. it's it's got a ring to it, Ricky Rackman, you know. Right. So. And he'll probably stick with me for the rest of my life because he was such a chode. But here's a guy that started out completely clean cut and introducing Headbangers Ball all the time, and then he slowly starts growing out his hair. I think he was wearing a wig at the beginning, to be honest. <laughs> but he starts slowly growing out his hair as glam metal is getting more and more popular. As metal is getting sissier he's getting more metal, yeah, which is yeah. a trajectory that doesn't make any sense. And then he gets a nose ring, which isn't really a metal thing. And then he starts getting tattoos yeah. as bands like Winger are, are putting out albums that are immediately thrust into MTV. Yeah. Winger, by the way, never metal. I don't even think they would count as rock. No. They're just so... They're a terrible band, but the, better word. I have to say, apparently the guy that helms it is a musical genius because he writes all kinds of stuff now. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. I've heard that before, yeah. but the band itself, she's only 17. Come on. Yeah. Come on. You're making all of us culpable in your perversion by singing that song and we can hear it. That's just horrible. Ricky. So, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And so Headbangers Ball just turns into this parody of itself because it doesn't know what it wants to be because metal doesn't know what it wants to be. So, uh, well, and by to the be way, fair, Guns N' Roses never, was never metal. I, I don't think they were metal either, but I understand why they kind of slid yeah. along the thing. But I think um, at the time, to be fair, you heard Winger on Headbangers Ball, but you would also hear like, you know, death metal and stuff as well. It was a really mm -hmm. strange show because glam metal and really heavy, like, you know, 
Slayer and stuff like that was being played on it. On and it, it it just had a strange mix. The guy before was the guy with the really poofy hair, right? Who um he had like long hair and he looked like Bon Jovi type guy, right? Like I can't remember his name, but I can remember his face. And I can look it up while we're talking. I mean, he's very famous because he was like to me, he was like the face of MTV for ages. Um, because he was on other programs, if I recall. But Ricky Rackman is one of these people where I, I don't know, I I I never had the hate for him that other people had, but I'd certainly understood it because he was kinda of, even if you aren't even dealing in the is he legit or not legit, he has this energy about him that is not a very metal energy. So it just feels kind of strange. he he feels more hair metal than regular metal. Do you know what I mean? He feels like he's, you know, in it for the parties type of thing. And so you know, and I, I I remember a lot of bands having um, uh, you know, having not conflict, but definitely kind of like I remember Danzig had an ongoing thing with him where where they would kind of make fun of him on the show. Um, yeah. Well, Ricky came out to uh, I was at a concert once, and he was supposed to be the one that announced the band. Mm-hmm. He walked out on stage. And he got booed for about three minutes straight. <laughs> he never got to talk or say anything. And so he just walked back off stage. I mean, uh-huh. I'll, here's what I'll say. I, I, I think that Ricky Rackman was perfectly good on Love Line. I enjoyed him on that show when I heard him. I still think sure. Adam Carolla was a much better co-host, but, right. you know, he was fine. Um, and, on the, and, and, and Ricky Rackman is somebody who he was on the Headbangers Ball, like, when I was at my peak of interest in heavy metal. So, I you know, I still have fond memories of that period but uh but it always felt kind of like a mismatch to me even at the time even even not being aware of all the things that you were mentioning about him it, something did feel a little bit off about that program i think the other thing that was off about it was just the fact again they really didn't know how to draw a line between glam metal and thrash metal were not in the same league at all they were totally different things and if you were listening right. if you were listening to thrash metal you did not want anything to do with um, Warrant or any of these bands. You might have you might have come to thrash metal by way of Warrant. I knew a lot of people that came in, you know, through those avenues. But once you got to metal, you severed ties with with any any of that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? Because um, it was tribal. It wasn't like it wasn't like it is now, where you can listen to anything you want. Do you know what I mean? It was it was a very tribal thing. No, um, absolutely. Metalheads are puritanical jerks i'm not going to argue with that yeah. at all yeah well, um, no but it's adam not... curry the name of the guy you were thinking that's of? it yeah yeah that's the guy um, who apparently and... he's a really strange guy now from what i gather um which i guess shouldn't be a surprise you know one of the things i always appreciate about somebody that does this sort of thing is when they're chameleons mm-hmm. and they can uh uh you know uh what's his name uh the guy that used to do he used to do sports on ESPN and then he became a commentator for a political news organization. What, what's his name? Oh, Keith, o- Keith Olbermann. Yeah. 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 I was always impressed by his range of information and talent and a large ass for lack of a better word. Um, there was a woman named Kennedy, the one with the glasses. I remember her. On it. Yeah. I remember. I did not and like her though. I had a, she very turned negative. out, to be, she turned out to be a hardcore right wing nut. She's she's on some show now where she's pushing she's on Fox. She pushes all that Fox News bullshit. Well, now. You know you know what happens with that though? A lot of people 
start out a certain way and then they evolve into something. Do you know what I mean? Like I've, I've, I've seen a lot of people go from like the right side of the spectrum to the left or the left sure. to the right, especially over the course of the nineties into the two thousands and such. But with her, my reaction, it was just those glasses more than anything else. I remember the glasses really are what turned me against Kennedy. And I don't know why I think, I think I felt like they were, uh, they're, I don't know. They, they just, they, they felt like a provocative choice to me. Um, <laughs> Maybe she's the original hipster. Well, I, about the original I'll, hipster I'll tell you off the air because I have a very elaborate theory about glasses and uh, okay. and TV hosts, but I but it gets too political, so I don't want to I don't want to get into it. Um, not for the metal show. For um, people that don't know, Brendan's wearing glasses right now. Yeah, but it's not about these kind of glasses; it's about other kind of glasses. <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> that's, I, I, I had to say, I had to clarify for Joel because I, I mentioned my theory to Joel before a podcast, and he was wearing glasses, and he got he thought I was talking about him. Yeah, um, I didn't think you were talking about me. I remember uh, Stu Naham back in the day. He was a sports guy for basketball. He had these really weird glasses, and so I wanted them when I was in ninth grade. Well, what I'll say about the theory is that glasses can be used like a weapon depending on how, what style you choose. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, and so, so yeah. Can we get back to silent stupidity now? Yeah, so, so my thoughts on it. Uh, well, did you even give your thoughts on it yet or no? I did not. Okay. So, so that's the reason I don't listen to Queensryche. If, if, if Jet City Woman was the song that I heard first, I would probably have given them more of a chance. But Silent Lucidity, every time that song came on, it just drained the life out of me. I was just like, ah, this is no energy. I don't want to hear it. It was because yeah. it was on gentle nylon strings. It just had a, it had a feel and a vibe. And it was like, it was like the light version of Enter Sandman, right? It was like, like they're kind of like two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. Uh, they're very similar in terms of the topics they address. They're kind of trying to reach the same level of an audience. And they kind of have a similar sound in some ways. And even though one's light and one's heavy. But over the years, I've grown to like the song for some reason, mainly because I think I like the guitar melody. And so, you know, that 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 part of it has grown on me. But I mean, it's taken like three or four decades, however long it's been to three decades to to develop. You know, that's that's more time than a song should should be permitted to have. Um, but what are your thoughts on the song? Oh, it's hot garbage. I don't need to say anything else. It's, <laughs> I call it silent stupidity. I don't even call it by its name. I refuse. It's that well, is there a reason you don't like it though? Is there a single thing about it that stands out? Is the reason? It's not. It's the problem is that you didn't listen to Queensrÿche from the beginning. Yeah, I've been listening yeah. since the EP, right, which had five amazing songs on it. Then Warning, which was all amazing songs, the entire thing, and we. Still need to do an episode about yeah, that. Because I, I I learned about Warning from Jim and I listened to it. I really like it. So It's fantastic. Yeah. And then you have uh, Rage uh, Rage for Order, which is a weird album, but a good album. And then you have Operation Mindcrime, which I do not like anymore. I liked it when it came out, but I do not like it anymore. But that's considered their top album by a lot of people. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's got a complete story and it's easy mm. listening. And okay, okay. there's only a couple of prog songs on there. But the prog songs themselves are fantastic. But the rest of the album is, what are you doing here? Uh, and it isn't until Promised Land that they get good again, and then they're they're done. They should have just ended on that album, because once Gar DeGarmo leaves, the band's a mess. Empire's the album you're talking about, with Jet City Woman yeah. and Silent Stupidity and Della Brown 
and Empire and all these bad. You can tell the album was made on the road because they don't know what to talk about. There's nothing tying it together. They're just some just some random songs that they had in their pockets. It's not a good album. And Silent Stupidity is that song. But that's their biggest album, isn't it? Isn't that like their... Empire, no. I think that song's their biggest song, but I don't think Empire's their biggest album. It wasn't their Uh, biggest selling album? Maybe. It could be. Because I I, I just remember them being huge when that came out. Like, I remember you saw the album with, like, they had the weird guitar that looked like a double-headed axe on it. And and I remember liking the album cover. I remember thinking, ooh, Queensryche, that looks like a cool band. And then I heard the song... And I wanted nothing to do with them. Um, but I do remember having a fun fondness for the album cover. Um, and I remember a lot. I remember them just being gigantic. Uh, but I feel like that was like that was like around the time of when was that? 1990 or something. Like, I feel like that was that was um, the No More Tears era of heavy metal. Do you know what I mean? Um, where things were kind of. It, it was like the like there was even even like a lot of the heavier bands were all doing something relatively poppy at that time just to kind sure. of you know yeah they were trying to see how many how many ballads can we squeeze onto this album yeah ballads were big pop. ballads yeah. were gigantic and i don't have a problem with ballads i think the problem was people understanding that ballads were somehow crucial to success and then always making a ballad uh you know but ballads themselves could be fine um and also that there's a danger with ballads where at a certain point you're not a heavy metal band anymore if you're just you know what i mean like you can i don't know what the ratio is but there, there's a ratio of heaviness to melody that needs right. to be, you know and ballads can bring you into the territory of not being a metal band anymore um, you may not be able to classify it but you know it when you hear it right yeah yeah I would say so. I would say so. I think. I think the key is it's got. There's got to be some bitterness in there, and on top of the sweetness, um, you know. Again, I, it's, oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say. I think a better way to define this this list that I had made may have been the songs that split the audience. These are the songs that at the moment that they came out, you knew I'm never gonna be that that kind of fan well, for this band. I would say with Iron Maiden, you could probably make an argument for um, Somewhere in Time being that album, too. Because people definitely split with that one. Um, Somewhere in Time comes after Seventh Son, right? No, it comes before. before. That's where they started developing okay. that sound. But it's yeah. it's like it's 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 definitely a dividing line between like that rock oriented no synth sound that they had for like right. you know uh power slave and peace of mind right. you know and you know all those albums you know number of the beast and then and then they suddenly like if you look at the reviews of somewhere in time from the period you know the, a lot of people complaining that they that they that they that it just sounds like uh you know uh like euro bands and stuff do you know what i mean so well a lot of these bands had been promising we're never going to use synth and then they used synth, and that was really, that was the violation of the contract, so to speak. Yeah, um, but I, I and think, I think that... that's what made a band like Pantera successful is simply because, well, we're not doing any of that crap. But We've I think synth gets a bad. I think synth gets a bad name because I think synth is synth is just an it's just an extension of the of the electric organ. Do you know what I mean? And and the electric organ is actually a heavier instrument than the guitar. 
Like if you listen to like those Deep Purple albums, yeah, the that organ is ferocious in a way that the guitar can never be, and that's why that's why um, uh, Richie Blackmore can play a Fender in that style, and the albums still sound heavy. Do you know what I mean? But like I think that. Uh, and and you listen to Dio, they have great great keyboard tracks on those Dio albums. Uh, I, I think the problem is when people he- hear the word synth, they think songs like Jump and s- yeah. atmospherics that aren't really part of the song. Right. Um, and also in the eighties, there was a lot of because programmable things were coming around. You you had a lot of synthesizer music that was it didn't sound like a human had made it in any way it didn't sound like a human was performing it i should say so like the you know it's it, 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 like a lot of electric organ stuff sounds it doesn't sound like a human is making it but you can tell that a human is punching the keys as it's being played and uh so i don't know i, I feel like uh i don't feel that synthesizers are uh, antagonistic to heavy metal I, I i just feel that you have to use synthesizers in the right way in a heavy metal situation a lot of these bands were not using it in the right way is, uh, is what I, I don't know why distortion pedals get a pass and keyboards do not, but it just is, right? That's the way yeah. it is. You don't make your way into metal because you like the piano. You <laughs> no. made your way into metal because you like bass and guitar and drums. Yes. And when yes. somebody brings the piano in or they bring the keyboards in or they bring a synthesizer in or a drum machine, any of those artificial components, it it's not why you're here. No, that's and, true. But I'm saying that if you listen to those earlier heavy bands, the electric keyboard was there, and it was it it doesn't it doesn't. No, register I'm not as, arguing. Yeah. I love Deep Purple, and I love the organ. And Opeth uses the organ really, really well on their latest albums. But um, I'm just expressing why in the '80s we didn't want it. Well, it's it's that high pitched synth set that that generic synth sound yeah. is what people yeah, don't yeah, yeah. like. And uh, which, you know, we may be applied too broadly to the instrument itself. Um, distortion pedals are interesting because, like, I, I I actually think that distortion is gone. I don't like the current tone of distortion that I hear in a lot of modern metal music. Um, and and I, there used to be this uh, this 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 distortion pedal called the Metal Zone, which was really big when I was playing guitar. That was the one that everybody wanted. Everybody played it. And I started looking up videos on distortion pedals just because I'm really out of touch with all that stuff. Um, and apparently that's like a despised thing now. Like it's a joke now on YouTube. Like if you look up Metal Zone pedal, it's it's a laughing stock among YouTubers and among players. When I was playing, that was the one that was the one I wanted. I saved up my allowance to get that one. And and we all loved the sound because all the distortion from that era was very it was very disruptive and it was very uh it sounded like an agitated bee do you know what i mean it wasn't it wasn't meant to sound nice and smooth and liquidy and i find a lot of the current tones around distortion are um are a little too soft around the edges it's a rounder sound and it kind of i don't know it's still heavy but it's not quite as belligerent as the uh as some of that distortion that you hear through the 80s and maybe into the early 90s um but distortion is still an artificial effect. Yeah. What What is your opinion on other types of effects that people use on guitar? Like, like distortion gets a pass, reverb gets a pass, 
um, are there any other sounds that you hear on the guitar that you think suddenly takes it out of metal? Or do you think any effect on a guitar is... I think the whammy bar allows you to still be metal, uh-huh. right? But I think the... We talked about this, the bluesy slide thing, whatever it's called that you wear on your finger. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I forget what that thing is called off the top of my head. I think it's but called as soon a slide. As, you, as soon as you incorporate that into your song, it's not metal anymore, right? Yeah, you can't. Well, it's hard to even play a riff with one of those things. I, yeah. I never really use those, but I would just, if somebody had them, I'd try them out. I never liked playing that way, but I, I, I don't think, it, and whammy bar, I never liked the whammy bar either. I took my whammy bars off my guitars. Right. <laughs> I, I never liked them. Um, because they take it, you take your guitar out of tune and I just don't like, I, I, I always felt that you should be able to either get that sound from bending the guitar itself or from bending the string. Right. Um, and, and when I hear a guitarist that relies heavily on the whammy bar, it, unless it's someone like Randy Rhodes, it really usually doesn't land right with me, but I get, I get your point. Yeah. Um, it, well, it's not popular anymore, but in the eighties, you got away with it. Um, well, you can get that monstrous that Eddie Van Halen sound that he gets when he really cranks the whammy bar. Um, right. You can get that kind of a sound with it. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just not a I'm not a a big fan. I, I guess another another one that I would say is uh, maybe questionable is when people use a lot of delay. I I I, I think it, I, I I've heard sure. you know that that can that can. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why the distort. I, I guess distortion gets a pass because distortion is monstrous. It's yeah. it's if you don't like like listen to like bands before the distortion pedals were invented before like had the fuzz pedals and stuff, mm-hmm. and and it's like guitar is incapable of sounding. You know, you you can't do a Slayer album on a Rickenbacker guitar, right? With no distortion, right. it just right. it wouldn't work. Um, so distortion is almost like that's like it's almost an essential part of metal. You can't you you wouldn't have thrash metal without distortion. Um, I think any effect that you're producing in the studio that you cannot reproduce on stage is one that doesn't belong in metal or punk. I think that these these music forms you can, it's okay with pop because mm-hmm. so much of pop when you're if you go to a show so much of it is just. They're playing the tracks on a on a soundboard anyway, so yeah. what does it matter? But rock, metal, punk, these are supposed to be performance arts on top of just being music. And if you can't reproduce it on stage, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be in the studio. Well, what about choruses and stuff? Is that fair game or is that What do you mean choruses? Like when like like a literal chorus of people. Like sometimes you'll get like a Gregorian chant type thing or a you know choral element to a song. So it sounds like Carmina Burana or something, you know, that that's, oh. you know, is that okay? Or is that, you know, what's your view on that? My favorite Faith's warning song is called still remains. And Kevin Moore does the keyboards on the, uh, on the opening five minutes. And he doesn't go on tour with them. They don't bring a keyboardist with them on tour. So Joey Vera has to sync up the iPad and hit play at the beginning and then they sync up to the the ipad and it feels it's my favorite song so i can't bash it yeah but it's artificial right I've, it feels I've, weird i've seen them perform the song three times live it's the same thing every time it's uh that's weird well and i think if you're not going to bring that chorus with you live here's what i'll say i think 
recording music and making music for a studio album and performing music are two very different things. Yeah. And you see that clearly when bands perform heavily produced songs or heavily mixed songs or, you know, very layered songs. I'd be reluctant to say metal shouldn't layer because I think a lot of layering stuff like like you couldn't you couldn't do what Queen does on Bohemian Rhapsody live very easily. You know what I mean? You have you have to use backing tracks and stuff to even get that kind of a sound. Um, but I, I want bands to be able to go there. Uh, if you but, get a chance, the when Led Zeppelin got inducted into some sort, they got went to the Kennedy Center and got honors. This isn't even the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is, this is how great Led Zeppelin is. Let's all honor them. Kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Heart shows up and they play Stairway to Heaven. I saw that. Now, I saw that. Yeah. Now, first of all, I don't like that song because it's been played a bajillion times since it was invented. But Heart's version is actually better than Led Zeppelin's version. And when that drape drops and that chorus is behind uh, Annie and uh, her sister, I don't remember the other one's name. When that cor- and there's a chorus of people there singing, it makes the song that much better. And if you can do what you've been trying to do with your song and implement those things on stage and make the performance that much better, that elevates what you're listening to. So yeah, mm-hmm. I get the fact that Queen did things in the studio that they can't replicate without 700 people on stage yeah. with them. But if you can do that, You've just elevated your art form, haven't you? Why would? Oh yeah, you... but but seven hundred singers is a yeah, <laughs> that's I mean, a tall that's order. <laughs> but, you know, but you know what I mean. Um, and I think they actually have had choruses on stage for Queen. I think Queen has done that. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, you know what's funny? I actually I didn't particularly like the heart rendition of Stairway to Heaven. Uh, uh, but yeah. I was but I was an outlier, and I think it was because I was focusing on the guitar that they were doing, you know, something, there was something. They truncate the solo and they truncate the, the drumming bridge right at the very end, which I don't like that annoys me when they do it. But the chorus that comes in and the, the dropping of that drape, that mm. surprise moment. Okay. And I've just ruined it for people who haven't seen it, well, but it is really that good. I'll have to watch it again and, and give it another, another review. I always liked the song, but it is one of those songs where it just felt like I'd always heard it. Cause even by the time I listened to it, consciously listening to it, I'd, I'm sure I had heard it before then because it was so in the air. Um, so that... it, it must get it must get annoying to listen to me bitch about music um, so much, but I don't think people realize how much time I spent as a child listening to music. It was four to five hours a day as a child. I had nothing else. I... We didn't have books in the house, and I wasn't allowed to watch TV for most of the day. So I would sit in my room and listen to records or listen to the radio. I have probably heard Stay Right to Heaven five, 6,000 times in my lifetime, and I don't like it. So it gets more frustrating with each listen because... I don't think it's a problem. I think that, that you complaining about a song is adding color to the discussion, and I think it yeah, also... Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. just being self-conscious. No, but, but, but also, I mean, I was the same way. I think we have different personalities, though, in a lot of ways. Like, one of my... Like, I was a little obsessive-compulsive as a kid, so when I was little, I picked up Blondie. My parents had a Blondie album, and there was that song one way or another, and I would uh-huh. just listen to it on... Re- like, I just kept playing it over and over and, like, like, I, like literally 20 times a day. Like, that's how much right. I was listening. And I never got sick of it. Um, right. 
and but but most people eventually get really tired of hearing something over and over again i i do too eventually but i've found that i have a like if i hear a song i like i have to keep i i my reaction is to play it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to the point that like my wife comes into the room and shouts at me to stop doing that um so you know that i i think you know that that's that's maybe why a song like stairway to heaven doesn't I don't have the same reaction to it as you do. Though it sounds like you never liked it. So you might not have ever liked Stairway to Heaven, even the first time you heard it. Yeah, and I've never been a Zeppelin fan either, Mm. right? I mean, when I was a little, little kid, I didn't have... I wasn't that discriminating. So, of course, I listened to whatever was on the radio. But by the time I was 10, 11 years old, it's just, okay, KLOS, you've played Led Zeppelin (laughs) 55 times today already. Give it a rest. Uh-huh. People that want to listen to Led Zeppelin own those albums. Well, and there was a period where, Le- I like, I think the period is gone, but there was a period where, like, you you couldn't, even, even like, in the late 80s, I remember it being kind of hard to escape Led, Led Zeppelin. Um, and, the you know, and through the 90s. I think they got a revival in the 90s, too. I feel like you heard more of the, the Led Zeppelin. Um, but they they also have a sound that I think either lands with you or it doesn't. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of band. Um, but one thing I did want to get into, cause we're, we're getting to the 50 minute mark and this was kind of like our escape valve topic, but I, I think we'd be remiss if we don't even address it is uh, Eddie Van Halen. Um, cause this okay. is our first, our first episode since his passing and we've, we've never really had kind things to say about Van Halen. So, no. you know, uh, you know, no, I mean, to be clear, neither of us are fans of the band and I think both of us have kind of negative reactions to Eddie Van Halen himself. Um, I, I think Jim, you have maybe more of a personal reaction against him and I have a stylistic reaction. I don't know if that's accurate. I don't, I don't think he's a good person. I don't think his brother's a good person. I think they've only had a couple of good songs that I care for, but what really bothers me is when somebody like that passes away and nobody's been talking about him for 20 years. And then all of a sudden, oh, he was the greatest musician of all time. Well, let's be fair. People always, people do always bring him up in guitar discussions as one of the great guitarists for obvious sure. reasons. Sure. Um, but, uh, I, and I'm not discounting his contribution, right? I understand why people like him as a performer, as a creator. I, I love Ingve Malmsteen. I know he's yeah. an asshole. Yeah, yeah. When he passes, I'm going to be able to say I was listening to Ingve right up until the last day. Mm-hmm. I don't have to go and pretend that, oh, what a great contribution to music. Eh, he's kind of an yeah. asshole. And he, yeah. the music that came after him wasn't good. But you're just you're drawing a distinction between those two things because you can like Ingve even though he is an asshole. Um, it's right. just that you don't like Eddie Van Halen stuff. But my attitude towards Van Halen, I, I understand why he's important. Do you know what I mean? Like, like obviously guitar sounds different after Eddie Van Halen. So there's a, you know, he's like Jimi Hendrix. He's one of those kinds of people, but I just don't like his music for the most part. And, and I'm, and I'm not, and I know there are fans out there listening that, 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 you know, are sad that he passed and I'm not trying to like, you know, crap on somebody that people liked and are sad about, like, it's sad that he died. Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to say it's not. Yeah. Sad yeah. That he yeah. Died. We're not. Uh, yeah. Um, but I don't want to, I don't want to change my, position on eddie van halen because he died um, yeah exactly yeah and so That's... and and i think my background on this is i was there there 
Van Halen and, and Randy Rhodes kind of came out of the same thing. Do you know what I mean? And and a lot of people accuse Rhodes of being derivative of Van Halen, which might be true. Sometimes guitarists emulate other guitarists and, you know, they, they also become really big themselves. But Eddie Van Halen never had anything kind to say about Randy Rhodes that I remember. He was always kind of shitting on him. And I just always found, I love Randy Rhodes' playing. To me, he is like, I, I wouldn't even say that, like, if I made a list of my top songs, his might not necessarily even make it into the... Well, I don't know. There's probably... Mr. Crowley's pretty high on my list. But there are other songs that I, I like better and other uh, guitar riffs that I like better. But overall, I like his sound and I like how he has this... He's he's a virtuoso like Van Halen is, but he's not as effortless as Van Halen. And I actually prefer songs that don't sound effortless. Right. I, and and, and it, to me, it's a big deal. Like, the, 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 there's just something... There's just something about the Van Halen sound that just, uh, it, it's too liquidy for me. It's too, uh, it, 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 it's, it, I, I can't really critique it on technical grounds. Like what he, 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 he has total mastery of his instrument. There's no question of that. Like I get, when I hear Eddie Van Halen play, what I can say positively about him is he sounds like somebody who wasn't just a good technical player. He sounded like somebody who was like an athlete in terms of how he played the guitar. Do you know what I mean? Like, 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 I don't know if he was physically stronger than other people in some way, or if he was doing conditioning exercises, but he just has better command of the instrument than most people usually do. But, uh, but not, but the stuff they made just, I, I just couldn't get into. Um, right. I, you know, I, I think it's a maturity thing, right? He, they never struck me as a mature band. They struck me as frat boys having fun telling the same joke over and over again. And either you were in or you weren't. That's it. Yeah. And that has never been something I've been interested in, or I've never wanted to hang around with those kind of people. The the only time that I like, like kind of liked Van Halen was when I was a kid. And like, I was seeing some of their videos on TV and I didn't really know what they were. Do you know what I mean? Like before I was really aware of like musical genres and stuff. And, and so I wasn't like a fan, but like, I remember liking David Lee Roth performing and I liked his voice and I, you know what I mean? And some of the songs I liked, but I, I feel like, especially once they shift shifted with singers and stuff, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I just could never, I don't know. They're just, they're just not my style. There's just something about them. Um, and I can't even really put it into words. I, I do know. I, 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 uh, you, you would set me a YouTube channel of a, uh, a YouTuber who, I don't know if this is his specialty or if he just has a lot of videos like this, but one of the things he does is he breaks down bands that to, to you know, to the, to tie it to your list idea, uh, that, you know, somehow ruin themselves in some way with a particular album or a particular era. And so there was a video he did on Creedence Clearwater and Revival, but he also did one on Van Halen 3. Yeah, I watched that one. Yeah, and that one was interesting because there's a Sammy. He quotes Sammy Hagar as saying Van Halen can't write songs, or Eddie Van Halen can't write songs. Um, I don't know if that's true, but I thought it was interesting because I was wondering if you know maybe maybe the problem with Van Halen for me is the ego was too big. Do you know what I mean? Um, and you know, they're, they're a band that has had a lot of pro and I know this is, this is sounding terribly negative and I apologize. I do feel bad cause he died. Um, you know, I, I, uh, but, but like the ego 
always seem to cause problems in that band. And kind of like you right. were saying, the two brothers always seem to have issues with people. And there's just a, there's just like a, like I, I, I can listen to, to bands that are made up of horrible people. I don't like, I can listen to, I can read books by people that are written by folks that I despise, but if they write a great novel, I'll read it and I'll like it. But there's something there. There's something really exceptionally negative about those two brothers and the way that they operate in that band that do, it really turns me off to them. Do you know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know what it is, but I just feel like if you if you lose two singers in that way, and and you continue to have you know, it just seems like at a certain point the problem isn't the singers. The problem is, do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, I don't know. Is that, do you have something to go to? Because it sounds like you might have had something on your. Uh, What now? No, no. I was just saying, do you have to go? Because I, I thought I no, heard I noise. Oh, oh, okay, okay. I didn't want to keep you if you. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't want to be here talking to you, but I don't have anywhere <laughs> well, to be. Well, that's. I know I'm a terribly boring person. But, you know, oh man. Uh, so, but uh, but yeah. So I, I don't know. I, 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 I think that, you know, in light of the fact that he died, uh, I, I have to acknowledge contribution to the instrument but I, st- I you know i i was I, I actually made an effort to go and find van halen music that i could enjoy after he died just to see if there was because sometimes you only know the four songs that everybody knows and you know oh, but yeah, yeah. i tried listening to the different albums and i just couldn't get into it it just wasn't my speed um it just wasn't for me so i got into believe it or not and this is not a lie this is how much i was into metal in seventh grade I got into a fist fight in the middle of class with a kid over Van Halen. <laughs> and I used to get in fist fights on those the, the playground all the time with new wave kids because their music sucked so much and I didn't I didn't even want it to exist. That's how mature I was in seventh grade. But uh, the fist fight over Van Halen was was it's just a seminal moment in my life. What was um, the what was the He insisted that Van Halen was metal and I had to assure him that it was not. <laughs> that is funny. I was I, I I got into fist fights all the time as a kid and I I never ever got into a fist fight over like movies or music or anything to like oh, yeah. that would have that that never That's happened. That's all we got into fights over at all when we were kids. And I maybe it's cuz I'm a little older than you are but and I came from white trash background but that's all we had on the playground, right? Was our taste in stuff. Okay. I mean, we just got into fights. I don't even remember. I remember, you know. Well, you're from Boston. Yeah, but I was so. living in California when I was getting oh. into most of those fights. I remember a kid, you had to stand in line in front of, before the school day in the field and like line up. And some kid was goofing around and slammed into me and I just lost control. And, you know, that, that kind of thing. That was sort of, that was how right. fights usually happen. Um, around here, actually, oddly enough, I'm from Boston and there's a lot of like, busting a chops and definitely people around here do like to fight but uh i didn't have any problems when i was in boston i I know how to get along with people in boston it was mainly on the west coast that i had issues um but uh but yeah i don't know i i is there anything on this topic that we've overlooked or anything that we forgot to bring up that we wanted to talk about I think we talked it to death. I think we meandered a lot too. But... That's fine. I, I like meandering. I think it. I think uh, you do like meandering. I think we that's the most episodes without topics. Well, no, no, but that's the thing. Like, it's a real. Uh, this is meta, but I think it's a real conversation. I, one thing I hate 
is when I listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube show and it's all edited down and super, unless it's like really done well, like, like pitch meeting or something, do you know what I mean? Where there's a point to it. But if it's a conversation and it's just really focused and it doesn't feel like a real discussion, I'm not as interested as when it's just an organic conversation and people are not saying rehearsed lines. Do you know what I mean? Like things that they've said over and over again so that they, like I, I used to do a lot of interviews of people because I, I did I did local reporting and I and I did a lot of it even in college when I was a history student I used to do oral history papers and one of the things that you always looked for were rehearsed narratives that people would tell you where they suddenly slip into a story that they've told a thousand times and it's kind of like a like a canned response and and I just have a visceral reaction to to that kind of conversation so that's why I like meandering. Um, <laughs> I, I I appreciate it to some degree as well. I don't uh, I don't like uh, when when you're listening to somebody doing their rehearsed speech. Um, ironically, David Lee Roth did an interview once with uh, Henry Rollins was actually interviewing him for Rolling Stone magazine, and as soon as Henry turned on the tape recorder, David went into his for an hour. The tape ends and David just shuts down, and he drinks his gin and tonic or whatever it was he was drinking and henry said he'd never seen anything like it the guy was so rehearsed he knew I, how to tell a story i i i have seen interviews with david lee roth that i just i just could not make my way through because it's a combination of that and a combination of that <laughs> that that bebop style of talking that yeah. like that steven tyler also kind of has where it's just so affected that i i just can't i i, I don't know it, I, I just find him really frustrating. To, he, he he doesn't. It's it's all it's all performative. It's not. Yeah. It's not. You're not getting a real person. Yeah, um, yeah I hate disingenuousness yeah. in any level, which brings us back to hipsterness, right? Yeah. Is is this people that aren't honest about who they are or what they believe in, and they're just saying whatever they think they need to say to be liked. Like uh, American Psycho at the dinner party. The uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, actually, you know, uh, David Lee Roth went to my high school. Believe it or not, did he really? Yeah, he went to my. I mean, not while I was there, um, uh, but uh, you know, he attended the high school I went to in Massachusetts, and uh, I think he went to a bunch of high schools. I think he moved around a lot as a kid, so I don't think it was like something where he was like there all four years. But that's all I ever heard from teachers is, "Oh, David Lee Roth went here," and you know. Uh, I went to high school. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before, but I went to high school with Mike Patton from Faith No More. We went at the same time. I remember you mentioning this at one point. I, I do remember this coming yeah. up. Uh, so if I'm repeating myself, I'll shut up. But uh, I don't know if yeah. you are or not. I, I don't. I don't know if we've talked about it on the air, or off the air at this point. Yeah. Um, so Mike and I hung out once. Um, the other, he was in a band called Mr. Bungle in high school, and I was friends with two of the guys from that band, but I didn't really know Mike that well. But Mike and I hung out once. But the other guys, I we were in a drama club together. I uh, I've probably said this before, but I dated the sister of the guitarist from Incubus way back in the day, just when they were getting big. Um, which is that's probably like the closest I've gotten to like knowing a real famous band. Leave um, a comment below if you know who Incubus is. People know who Incubus is, right? They, they were, a joke. That uh, was 
that's such a not really that popular of a band. Okay, I, I mean they they were big though, like back in like 1999 through 2003. I feel like there was a period where they were on TV a lot. Um, but yeah, I I don't know, I don't know. They, they had I think they had their their period of fame. Um, but yeah, so I don't. We'll we'll let people go. We we'll, we should we should head out now. We've definitely beaten this topic into the ground. We and, have. Uh, and uh, what I will say, if people have actually listened the whole way through to this point, definitely leave comments and let us know what you would like us to talk about so that we can have topics that Jim and I might not come up with on our own. Because I think it would be helpful to get that from people, uh, just so we know what people want to hear. Uh, and until next episode, we will talk to you later. The unpleasant presence you and every memory we have Forgotten promises like thoughts The unholiness of your My future, the unholiness of your made me pray for your departure.